So what job am I looking for? Oh, e-commerce and sales manager for a fashion brand. Sounds interesting. I'm fascinated by e-commerce. I basically buy all my stuff online. My sense of fashion is amazing. I mean, you can't beat jeans and a t-shirt. So anyway, what do they want? Who are you? You're a digital native. Okay, I don't really know what that means, but I think I am a fairly digital. Um, working under pressure, flexible and pragmatic. I think I'm all those things, but again, I don't really know what they mean with those terms. So anyway, so that sounds good. Oh. An experienced e-commerce professional with a minimum of five years experience in a similar role, preferably within a retail environment. Fashion affinity is a plus. Okay, so basically they just want to hire the person that's already doing the job. It's not very innovative and also not really me. Welcome to this podcast about the Passport for Work, an initiative funded by the European Union that aims to make the job market more transparent and efficient. My name is Patrick Regan, and I am incidentally not looking for a job, I'm actually fairly happy where I am. But I will spend the next 14 minutes or so trying to discover the Passport for Work. What is it, why does it exist, and who can it help? We'll start off with the abstract. What changes in the job market create a need for the passport? and why soft skills play such an important part in it. Then we'll define soft skills and look at the practical implementation. Finally, we'll fantasize about the future and discuss the hurdles to overcome. In Passport for Work, we are trying to make the labor market more transparent and to help people find the most appropriate job for them. This is Ronald Lievens. On behalf of Tilburg University, he monitors and evaluates the project. And in our project, we are trying to help people who have to leave a certain sector of industry to move to a different sector of industry. So let's say you are working uh, as an events manager, or probably you don't have a lot of work. Possibly now there is other work for you that might suit your skills in another sector, let's say the financial industry or the services industry. And in our project, we are trying to facilitate that person moving from one sector to the other uh, through an extensive soft skill assessment. Yeah, and the key word here is is soft skills to sort of define things. What are soft skills? Yeah, soft skills, also in academia, this is a very confusing term. It has been researched for a long time. But to put it in the simplest way, a soft skill is a skill that you can use in different occupations and in different sectors of industry. So let's say you're working as a banker or you're working as a doctor or you're working in a store as a sales clerk. There are the skills that all three of those occupations need. So active listening, presenting, communication, analytical thinking. So they are the skills that allow you to move across the labor market to different occupations. Is it a correct assessment that then the passport for work is sort of your uh, your document with your soft skills? Yes. So on on the passport that we are developing, we want to... First of all, draw attention to the soft skills. So the first thing you will see, uh, we call it the skill print, which is the printout of your profile. And it begins with your soft skills to prevent that you end up doing the same things uh, that have been happening for a long time, where people just look at your previous job experience, they look at your previous diplomas, and then they draw conclusions based on that. So what we want to do is shed some new light on 
those specific skills that an individual may have, and that might be completely different from the expectation you may have from a person based on their diploma and job experience, because people develop skills in a, a lot of different ways. Some people are programming in their free time, some people are organizing events in their free time, and these things do not always reflect from someone's diploma. Now, whom the Passport for Work is aimed at and how a job seeker can come to grips with their soft skills is a question for later. But first, why are soft skills relevant now? What changed the focus basically from hard to soft skills? I think they have always been uh, relevant, the combination of the two. But I think in recent years, uh, one phenomenon you have seen in recruitment and selection is that people often look for people that look like themselves, that fit their own profile, or that fit the profile of a colleague, or who fit the profile of a certain diploma. Let's say uh, you're looking for an engineer, then you will look at a technical university, and you will look for someone with an engineering degree. But it doesn't paint the full picture, because if you look at the longer term, uh, the success rate of a hire is also dependent on how well they fit in the team, in the organization, how well they can express themselves, uh, how well they can motivate others, how quick they are in their thinking. And those soft skills are not always clear from certain hard skills that a person might have. And I think in recent years, also now with COVID-19 especially, it's become really important that people have a broader orientation on the labor market in case they lose their job, for example. Then they have to be able to draw on their own skills and see, okay, maybe in this sector there's no work for me, but in the other sector, maybe in the financial industry, I can also work because the soft skills I have built in my previous job are also skills that I can use there. Speaking of a broader perspective on the labor market, Tom Wildhagen is professor of labor market studies at Tilburg University in the Netherlands. I cover a broad range of issues and questions in labor market research, but also education, training, social security, labor relations. Labor markets are inherently intransparent and they lack sufficient information for proper and quick efficient matches. This is a very old problem and that has been described by many scholars and so many models, many uh, theories, many investigations are about trying to reduce the information asymmetry, the shortage of information, the lack of quality of information and I think this is what uh, Passport for Work tries to do, uh, to enrich and to improve the information at both sides. So the, uh, the supply side, of course, but also the demand side of the labor market. And that uh, can lead to better matches, more matches and to more sustainable matches in the labor market. According to Professor Wildhagen, on the one hand, employers have limited information on those in the labor market. They know a bit, uh, but it's very superficial. Uh, they might know about education and about uh, previous jobs people have done, uh, but they don't have any insights in the actual skills and competences of people, which means that only a limited scope of people comes uh, in the spotlights for the employer and the labor market intermediaries. On the other hand, job seekers don't really know what an employer is actually looking for, creating uncertainty and limitations on their side. They don't know uh, whether they might also fit the requirements because uh, the job description is very traditional and doesn't really rely on skills and competences, but basically asks for having the same work experience in the same job and having a very specific 
uh, education. And this means um, you have problems in two situations. If the labor market is very tight, uh, the companies will not be able to find more employees because they're looking in a very limited group of people. And now uh, we have the other way around. So, so we are now back into uh, a, a labor market that is really bad for people. Uh, so people that have many skills, many competences, could do many other jobs than they've done, uh, they are not in the picture and they are not being seen by the employers. If unemployment is low and companies have difficulty finding people, by looking for candidates with specific profiles based on hard skills, companies are limiting their pool of talent. When unemployment is high and job seekers are in abundance, people tend to look for jobs within their own branch or description, missing opportunities outside of their scope. But the question becomes, why are soft skills the solution to this? Well, soft, soft skills are also the solution. What we need is... Uh is that we have insights in the in the full range of skills, hard skills, and soft skills of people. We need a more deeper inf- and richer information about what people could actually do and can actually learn. And this also includes soft skills. Uh, soft skills are usually not so much uh, emphasized in the labor market. It's, it's, it's mainly about formal education and, and work experience. But the soft skills are very important in the matching because Um, if people don't have the soft skills, uh, they may not really fit your requirements. Uh, people might be very smart, but if you are looking for someone that can also present uh, findings or can present uh, new ideas, and this person is unable to present uh, the brilliant ideas, um, then uh, the lack of soft skills also doesn't really um, cannot compensate. Uh, for the uh, the knowledge that people have. Uh, so the soft skills uh, or the 21st century skills are very important, but it's the full range of skills, hard skills and soft skills that is important and that you have to showcase and to reveal and to make accessible in the labor market. And is that where the term skills-based economy comes into play? Yes, yes. And it's very popular now. Uh, so we are moving a bit into a paradigm where we say, and I hear that in Eindhoven, but also in Amsterdam, that we are trying to develop a skills-driven labor market and economy because people can learn and people can do other things that they've done in the past. And if you recognize this, but if you also make that uh, visible in a reliable way, uh, give people a skills passport that will be recognized by employers, will be recognized by labor market intermediaries, then uh, you can actually um, shape uh, this this, uh, skills-driven economy and labor market indeed. Are soft skills also a way to sort of deal with innovation and with a changing landscape? Because soft skills, and correct me if I'm wrong, it feels to me like they might change a bit less than hard skills do. Uh, Well, also in soft skills, you see that things are changing a little bit. One of the soft skills, type of soft skills that is becoming more important is dealing with uh, technology, uh, also interpersonal skills. Uh, We see that due to automation, process automation, you see that a lot of uh, tasks are no longer required to be done by the person themselves. So a lot of their responsibilities are shifting. So you see that the soft skills themselves are also changing towards uh, more managing processes than actually doing the processes uh, themselves. And soft skills are, I suppose, difficult to kind of define because you mentioned active listening or communication and all those skills, they feel like they're very close to each other. 
Um, so, so it's difficult for both employers and uh, 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 possible employees to define, okay, what soft skill am I looking for? And then to find a common definition for those skills. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Of course, this is also something we were considering in the project. And what we have chosen to do is align ourselves with an international taxonomy, which is a complicated word for, um, let's say, library, basically, or encyclopedia of soft skills. It's called ONET. It's, it was developed in the United States. And what they have done there is they created a list of approximately a thousand occupations. And for each occupation, they made a list of the most critical skills including soft skills. And now what we are doing in the Netherlands is translating that list to the Dutch labor market. Uh, we are doing a research among Dutch employers and employees to make this list of the most important soft skills and also the relevant definitions. Because in the end, that will help people to think about this otherwise abstract uh, subject matter. So we are basically providing the information to the people using the tool to help them think about this in a more concrete manner soft skills and maybe also for the listener it's still a bit vague okay there are examples of soft skills but it's still a bit abstract also the terminology involved is also abstract active listening you know it requires some explanation to really define what it is so one part of the project we are also investing in is creating um, a simplified translation of soft skills and we're actually finalizing that at this moment together with uh, tno and what this achieves is that we are creating a broader understanding of soft skills. So we have persistence, for example. Well, in the most simple translation, it's you know not giving up when you have some uh, adversary. But you can also have a very abstract uh, definition. And a lot of these soft skills suffer from having two abstract definitions. And I think one major milestone in the project has also been to simplify that as much as possible to make sure that as many people as possible understand what you are talking about. Of course, the more people use this, the more data becomes available and the more open and transparent the labor market becomes. But for now, the focus of the Passport for Work lies on those with a distance to the labor market. And to find out why that is, we'll go to the city of Eindhoven. This region is an ideal breeding ground for the passport for work. There is plenty of work and opportunity is growing. The job seekers, however, are educated in different fields or haven't had the opportunity to go through higher education. In other words, they have a distance to the labor market. The soft skills that the passport for work focuses on gives employers and employees the ability to look beyond those gaps. This became extremely clear in a project called Gasvrije Wijken, neighborhoods free of natural gas. The goal of the Dutch government was to get hundreds of thousands of homes free of gas. No more cooking and heating with gas, but only with electricity. Those houses needed to be renovated. And of course, the construction industry is very efficient at implementing these changes. That is, after all, what they're good at. But more often than not, the sector lacks the communication skills needed to convince homeowners to make this transition. Yes, for example, and it, is, it could be that maybe someone is now working in in another sector, for example, the banking sector, he has not the technical skills, but is very good in communication. Erik Lubbers is part of the Passport for Work project on behalf of the city of Eindhoven. And that kind of transferability between sectors is very important in our project. You've talked about Eindhoven and the region around Eindhoven as being well, kind of well-suited for this project 
project. Uh, you've also said that there's other regions that are interested in the project. How much do you see this grow to a larger scale? You've seen the enthusiasm with your, your colleagues in other, other municipalities. Would this work on a national level? Yes, we are working now together uh, with Amsterdam Rotterdam on the policy level, but also on the community of practices. And as we uh, went to a skills-based economy, uh, you see that uh, also the national government and the SEA and other organizations more and more see that uh, the way we look at the economy till now is not the way for the next 10 years. You see a mindset change. And we have intensive contact between the regions to build on this kind of developments together. So we are not the only project that means, uh, says this is an important way to go. But for example, on a higher level, skills-based economy is a team that is now important for all the regions. So we, we, we have to work together when we want to have standards for the whole of Netherlands. Scalability is amazing, and with modern technology, that we'll get into shortly, very achievable. But for its first steps, the Passport for Work still focuses on smaller target audiences. We've discussed the region of Eindhoven and people with a distance to the labor market. And then there is construction, healthcare and technology. These three sectors are to be tackled first by the Passport for Work. Rens Metz facilitates the cooperation between the project and the building sector. And I do that from a, a company called uh, Building Changes, where we uh, uh, support all kinds of different uh, parts and businesses in the uh, building industry, in the building sector. Uh, generally, the building industry has a big problem in finding people. In the last five, six years, over 100,000 people went out of the industry because of the crisis there was in the building industry and people who are going out never coming are coming back because they have a new job somewhere else. The building industry is, is an industry where you work outside in the in the field. You work, uh, yeah, it's hard work. It's not nice, clean, nitty gritty. It's nitty gritty work on the building side, or it is even on the on the pavement somewhere to have to work. You have to work hard, so it's not easy to find people to do that. Those people who do it and do it for many times love to do the job. So we think there's a big opportunity for other people to see that there are jobs there too. The Passport for Work, it, it focuses on, on soft skills and um, through uh, people discovering what their soft skills are, they might discover a job that they wouldn't think of in the first instance. And in this case, that might be uh, working in the building industry. Um, can you give me a, paint me a picture of what type of soft skills a person needs or what are useful in that industry? In the industry, working together is a very important thing, cooperation. Primarily, it looks like people do their own job, but they also do a job in a chain of other people. A house is not built by one person. A house is being built by several people in a row who do different, several things. So uh, working together is um, looking after for each other, thinking about what someone else, is ne someone else needs from you. And that is a, one of the most important um, things uh, within the um, within this uh, this industry as a as a skill and the skill is not where working together is combined skill of different things because you have to listen very carefully and you have to ask the right questions to ask someone so you have to be 
interest in someone else to get the right information. So those are skills you normally don't think as you look at the building industry, but are you dive in the industry and see what the processes are, you see that is important. From the societal and economic level to the practical implementation, the point where scalability, ease of use and entertainment value come into play. That is the expertise of Andries van Vught. I am a creative director and strategist at Organic, which is the company which uh, builds the passports for work, the strategic design, the design usability, UX, and also the core technology. Um, and basically my role within Passport for Work is, um, well, thinking about the concept, thinking about the users, user-centric design, and listening to all the wishes and trying to translate that into a very usable tool. To come to the Passport for Work, you need tools, obviously. And uh, I think it'd be interesting from the perspective of someone that might use the Passport for Work in uh, looking for a job. Can you sort of describe the, the, the process that they would go through? What are they going to experience? What tools are they going to get in, in, in contact with, so to say? Well, basically, it's a, it's a digital platform. Um, it is possible that the job coach helps you, especially for our target audience. Not everyone uh, will be able to do it all by themselves. So we have job coaches for that in place. But most of the people can do it online um, through a mobile phone or through a desktop or through a tablet. Um, there are similar tools. There are more tools that do skills, assessments, etc. But most of the time, they're very long questionnaires with a lot of text, um, not really comprehensible text, so it's 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 you know difficult language for those people, and they're not readers at all. So basically, um, what we provide is a very rich media, gamified uh, surrounding environment application, um, which helps them to assess their skills and which helps them to upgrade their skills and to find that job. So um, imagine we are playing neuro games, we're doing role-playing games to assess soft skills. Um, we have a very sophisticated way of doing self-assessment uh, on your own skills. Um, and it's all within a gamified surrounding. So there are all kinds of game elements, game dynamics, game mechanics within the application to motivate people, but also to get information you can't get from a questionnaire. Certain cognitive uh, skills like neuro games, etc., a very interesting way to yeah, to see how people actually uh, own that skill. And if they actually uh, uh, really, you know, you can say for yourself, like, yeah, I can, I can listen very well or I can do this very well or that very well. But we actually test it on a scientific way. So we make something which is obviously a bit boring, um, giving all your data and getting all the skills in and not motivational at all. So most of these people from our target audience most of the time, they don't even finish uh, or are very difficult to motivate to do something like a skills assessment. And we make it fun. We make it uh, fun and we make it understandable. Also, the language we use, we work with uh, scientific uh, uh, partners with that and, uh, and uh, schools and universities to make sure that the language we use is actually at a language level which these, uh, which this target audience really understands and it's easy to understand. So with video, with rich media, with gamification, with neuro games, et cetera, et cetera, gamified e-learning, we make a very fun and nice experience to 
um, make your own skills passport. Now, I understand the concept of gamification and uh, 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 neuro games sound very interesting, but a, a bit more practical. What am I going to do? Because I assume I'm not going to play Call of Duty. No, 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 that's true. <laughs> that is also, by the way, could be interesting because, uh, I mean, like if you look at uh, some of those games, um, uh, you can actually get some skills from that as well. If you can run a worldwide team, you can probably do that in another job as well. Um, but no, this is uh, a <laughs> really assessment game uh, based and also the gamification. Um, and and what, what do we talk about? We talk about, um, for instance, you get a game in which we detect if you have uh, what kind of stress you can cope with, or we check what kind of cognitive skills you have. Uh, for instance, uh, if you can adapt uh, easily to changing environments, if you're flexible. Um, but we also test, for instance, if you can communicate in a well way. For for instance, yeah, there's a skill called active listening. Um, and how can you actually check if someone is, is good at that? So what we do is we play interactive videos and you see short situations. And within those situations, you get a question in the end of a short video saying, okay, did this person do it right or wrong? And what kind of behavior did he do right or wrong? And also that is, of course, uh, incorporated in a quiz. Um, we also have a quiz master, etc. And you collect points and you collect achievements and you unlock things and you build it up. Um, so in the end, it becomes a much more uh, fluid and whole experience than just a questionnaire saying, okay, tick the boxes and fill in your name and address and some previous job titles, etc. It's really an experience we offer. But for this, I think you, the, the hard part, at least it sounds to me, is to find a balance between, on the one hand, you can become very um, uh, uh, patronizing towards people. If a game is too uh, sort of playful, it can be a bit eh. But on the other hand, it can be too much fun, at which point the, 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 the value goes out of it. How do you find the balance between game and practical um, value? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a really good question. That is uh, that is basically the holy grail, finding the balance between motivation and between you know actual data you can use, um, and not patronizing people, but actually making them understand from well, this is a way in which I can get your skill uh, uh, on the map, on the chart your skill, and and still it's kind of fun to play. But basically, all the for instance the neuro games, all of our neuro games are scientifically proven games. And we find the balance between a nice design and a nice look and feel. Um, but we also stay very close to the original because, yeah, it's already a proven scientific game. So you shouldn't change that in all kinds of, you know, of sounds and, and imagery and, and, and fleshy stuff because then yeah, <laughs> the data will be lost. You know, yeah. I mean, you have to focus on stress. How can you cope with stress? So uh, you don't make it into a Mario 3D game. Um, on the other hand, we also introduce a coach, which is a person that actually speaks with you. You have a quiz master which speaks with you. Uh, we have a trainer for the e-learning. So there are three actual people also helping you and guiding you through the process, which also gives more meaning to what you're doing so that you get a sense of value while you're putting your time in this. Uh, but it's it's you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a very fine balance between um, well, no, not becoming cheeky and being funny because it's just fun um everything really has a reason within 
within everything we do. Have you um, uh, tested the platform with the audience? And if so, uh, can you say anything about the responses you've gotten? Well, we've, uh, we are still building huh? our project will still last for about one and a half years. So we are uh, launching our first real prototype uh, uh, within, I think, two or three weeks. Um, and then we will start more intensive testing um, with the users. So we do two kinds of tests. One of them is uh, really UX lab testing with eye tracking, uh, interviews, etc. So it's really quality testing. We also do focus groups. Um, and the, the, the combination of the two uh, gives us the inputs to enhance uh, the, the experience. Um, on the other hand, we have also already done testing with users, have talks with users, made user stories because, yeah, distance to the labor market is quite a broad audience, starting at 20, ending at uh, 60. Um, so we divided that target group into various groups and we've talked with them, we've, we've tried to understand how we can motivate them. We've tried to understand why current solutions are not working for them. The long questionnaires, the, the, the complicated texts, uh, no fun, no rich media. Um, so all these insights we have uh, combined into where we are now. And basically, as we go on, it's a, it's a process of iteration. So every time we have a prototype, we test it thoroughly, and then we make the next prototype and test it again. So it's you know, going back and forth uh, into into a process with the user as we uh, make it a user central, uh, user centric design. Um, because if the user doesn't want to use it, and our user is not just the employee, it's also the employer. Of course, the employer also wants to use it, needs to use it. And uh, you mentioned employers. Um, obviously, the, the the possible or future employees they they, they try this and they they come to their their skills. But then the employer also needs to create their vacancies based on the skills or the soft skills that people get through the uh, through the platform. How is that yeah. balance going to be going to be made? And do you also help employers with that? Yes, of course. We well, there's there's basically two two things you are uh, you encounter with this. Uh, one of the things is that there needs to be a behavioral change with employers. Many employers just still think in job titles and resumes, etc. Um, so, and they're starting to understand that skills is a much more narrowed down way to find the right person. But there will be a behavioral change in that. So, yes, uh, with our partners, we are having these talks with the employees and uh, employers and getting them uh, ready to to start. Yeah, getting to know a new world of hiring people. On the other hand, we will have a survey with about 3,000 employers, companies, um, in which we ask for certain jobs. We have a selected set of 24 jobs we start our pilot with. And for each job, we ask the person who does the job, you know, so if you if you have uh, if you do this job for about five years or 10 years, you know what kind of skills are needed. And we also ask it to the employee, which could be the HR management or something else. And uh, based on that survey, which is already based on something which is 20 years ongoing in the United States, we have a 95% skills rating based on a competence framework, which is compatible with other frameworks like the European ESCO or other frameworks that, uh, that have all these competences uh, in a framework. Uh, if you don't use a framework and you just start making up your own competences, you don't have a passport, you know. And basically, with every 
every time you want to travel with your passport from job to job or city to city, they will say, oh, I don't know this passport. Um, so, so that's the reason we have a, a layer, a foundation of this competence framework. Um, so that's something already which really helps the employers. If they are looking for someone, they can just click on the job without even putting on a vacancy. And they say, I'm looking for job title A, B, or C. And they just click on it. And if they keep the default settings, then they already have a benchmark from all these employers who could fit this job um, and then based on the cv they can actually say from like on the resume they can say like okay i want to continue with this person or some of the employers are really so modern they i, I think for instance elon musk hires people just based on skills he doesn't look at their past he just looks at their skills um so some of them are more advanced already in that kind of thinking than others um but in the end yeah we we make sure that the tooling and everything underneath that makes it really easy and that's the same thing if they make a vacancy um they input that vacancy also based on the complete framework and which already underlies beneath it and of course there's also coaching and uh, uh, in the application a lot of help uh, for the employer to do it and especially in this pilot we you know, work closely together with uh, 75 employers and uh, companies to uh, to make this happen. Um, but yeah, there, there's, there is a behavioral shift and we're doing everything to make it easy for them based on, you know, proven framework, etc. No matter how idealistic and perfect a plan sounds, challenges have to be overcome. From partnering up with the UWV, the National Unemployment Agency in the Netherlands, to make sure that the Passport for Work targets and uses the right skills, to building an attractive system of tools while remaining reliable. And with a scalable system that might be used all over Europe, the playing field of government, education and labor partners is large and diverse. You don't want to produce a Eindhoven passport for work that can only be used in Eindhoven. You want people also to be able to work in Rotterdam uh, or whatever in New York. And so we need to adjust to the international systems. We need to have a, um, a proper, reliable, uh, trustworthy assessment. And we need to motivate people. And of course, we need to uh, have the employers formulating their requirements and demands also in terms of skills. Let's say as an employee, I've done this, um, uh, I have the passport. In your sort of vision for the future, how would my job hunt then ideally go? The, the, the great thing about this is everyone has qualities, everyone has skills. So even if you didn't finish your school, which happens in our target audience, um, maybe you've worked for 10 years in some whatever kind of jobs you did, and you've learned so much, but it's not in your job title, it's not in your job description, it's not in your resume, but you've learned really a lot. So that's the first great thing about it. So we just put you in the middle of it. So first let's look how your passport looks. And then we can say, okay, if this is what you're good at, if these are your qualities, then these are the jobs which suit you. Every kind of job is possible. It can be uh, a transsectoral. You could be in, in leisure. It could be in healthcare. It could be in building construction. So basically, the first step is if we have your profile and if your passport is ready, we can recommend journeys we can say well this is something that suits you or this is something that suits you and then based on that you go and look for vacancies or you go and look for employers so this is basically where it around it can also be surprising just like for instance if i buy a book uh, at amazon it says like other people who bought this book 
also book, bought these books. And then sometimes there's a book, I would never have bought it, but it really suits me. So we do that kind of the same, uh, same kind of algorithmic thinking. Already a few years back, I, I was dreaming about a system uh, where I would have my skills assessed and have an app, and the app would transmit my skills permanently. So I would walk uh, like through a shopping street, and um, I, I could get uh, this message that um, there's a 90% match with uh, the job vacancy in some shop or company there, which I never heard of because uh, the the um, the company is transmitting its demands in terms I need someone with these skills, and I have my skills also turned on in my app and that would be a very surprising match that I would think, you know, I never heard of this company. I never ever done that work, but seemingly, apparently, uh, we have a match and that's interesting. And also, let's suppose that I make a 90% match and then education and training can help me with the remaining 10%. Uh, so you would open uh, with a passport for work and the system that goes with it, you would open lots of opportunities and they will be also very surprising. Uh, so the passport for work is, is one of the um, programs that might really cause a revolution in the labor market in terms of um, job searching, job matching, employment opportunities, uh, fighting unemployment, uh, making sure that the the companies that need people have the right people at the right moment in the right numbers. Uh, so it, it has a uh, fantastic scope if we really can uh, work it out in the way that, that we want to. Uh, so it might really um, lead to a new paradigm in, in the labor market and in the operation of the labor market. We're trying, you know, to get away from the questionnaires. We're trying to get away from the traditional thinking of job descriptions and and of, of, of the old thinking of education. I did that 10 years ago, which is already outdated now. And we are trying to make people travel around the labor markets. And why do we do that? Because now you see it every time. It happens always the same. You have a recession and then everybody's unemployed. And then you have a really great economy and everyone is hired. But there's also this, this, you know, unemployed, employed, unemployed. While if you were working in a shop or in, 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 in a store, I mean, many stores have really hard times, same as the banking or financial uh, industry. They're losing a lot of jobs. Well, you can do two things. You can either say, okay, I will just wait until I get fired. Or you can anticipate that and say, okay, um, in this country, it's going to rain really, really hard. So I'm going to move to a completely different country where the sun is shining. And um, many people, they stay in their own silo. They stay in their own experience they have. And if you look at skills, then you don't look at jobs. It's just you have these skills. So there's so many things you can do with this skill set. Go for it. And if you miss something, learn it. So that was my discovery into the passport for work. And though now I might not be looking, in some years or decades, I will certainly use it. This podcast was created by me, Patrick Rieken, for passport for work You heard Ronald Lievens, Tom Wildhagen, Erik Lubbers, Rens Metz en Andries van Vught. Curious about the project? Go to passport for work with four written as the number 4.nl. Thank you for listening and goodbye.